This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome to At The Turn. Nick is enjoying an iced coffee, it sounds like, Nick. Yes, always iced. Can't drink hot coffee here. Well, do you drink it on the mainland or is this just a Hawaii rule? No, I mean, I, I drink hot coffee in the mainland. I do sometimes here, but uh, if, if there's iced, you got to go with iced. I'm Joe in an iced studio in Portland, Oregon. We have a really good show for you today. We're going to talk about number ones in the world. Is it better to have someone who is dominant? Better to have someone, a bunch of people rotating? We're going to talk to the editor-in-chief of GolfWRX.com about equipment. And he explains why it's more important for beginners to get custom fit with clubs, shafts, lie angle, all that good stuff than it is for a low handicapper, which I found to be quite interesting. But Nick, we're going to start with something that has probably happened to most golfers out there and something that most golfers out there have probably done as well. It's when you get hit into, and this happened to you recently, didn't it? Yes, this happened to me recently. And, um, I was on one of the Muni golf courses, you know, so you never really know what you're going to get, what kind of riffraff is going to be, you know, rolling through there. <laughs> Us. <laughs> and uh, I was behind a foursome. I was playing by myself, and I was behind a foursome, and it was pretty busy. You know, it wasn't like I could really get through. You know, it was pretty busy. And there was a threesome behind me, and uh, I knew right away I wasn't going to be joining up with this threesome because it was like a grandpa, a dad, and a son, like, you know, and they had no interest in, <laughs> in letting some alley <laughs> in that group, which is perfectly fine. So I was playing between these two groups, and uh, a couple times they were kind of, they kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I think there was one hole where it was like a par three, and uh, I, I finished the hole. I put the flag in, and like before I was even walk done walking off the green, like they're already hitting balls into the green, and I'm like, okay, Ooh. this is this is kind of annoying. But then on the 17th hole, Joe, <laughs> I'm standing in the fairway, and a ball. One hops over my head, it landed about 10 feet or, you know, 10 yards behind me and only about a foot over my head. Wow. And and uh, I was pretty livid and it, it ended up 
going into like this valley. So like from where I was, I had to walk down this hill and where this ball landed and they couldn't see me. So I ended up just hitting their ball into the rainforest <laughs> and then moving on with my day. I mean, I, I didn't feel there was any other way to proceed. I just walked up to it. I mean, it was it was a pretty awesome tee shot, to be honest. The kid probably hit it like 320 yards in the middle of the fairway. But I just was like, no, he, he can't get away with this. So I hit it into the rainforest. And uh, it was a Pro V1. So I kind of like felt a little more proud about that. Like I was <laughs> I was inflicting more pain on him and carried about my day and finished my round. But uh, I don't know. I, I've kind of been wondering. And I want to watch your opinion. Like, was that an appropriate reaction? I think it's a... Awesome reaction. I don't know how appropriate it was. So just to make sure I understand the circumstance, you're in the 17th fairway. It sounds like it's a blind tee shot where the ball actually lands. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a blind tee shot. So I could, mean, like, it takes, it takes a really good shot to get it down into this little valley. Like, normally you would hit it to the top of this valley, like, we're perfectly flat, and then over this valley for your second shot, okay. you know, near the green. Uh, but this kid definitely like caught one. It was probably over 300 yards. But from where I was standing, they could definitely see me, and they could also see the green. I mean, I was waiting for for a group ahead of me. You know what I mean? Oh. They could see the group ahead of me, and they could see me. So it wasn't like they didn't know I was there, and they didn't know why I was. You know, it wasn't like I was just taking too long. I mean, clearly I was waiting for the group ahead of me. Clearly I was in the fairway. They just didn't care. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, and I can't really do that, especially considering. If they hadn't hit into you previously where you were just leaking a green and then their tee shots landed on the green before you even left, would you have reacted the same way, do you think? Um, probably. That, <laughs> I mean, that seems I, to be they, so they against your personality. I know, but that's not cool, man. If it's an accident, like, it's an accident. You know what I mean? If you couldn't see me, if I was in that hill and they couldn't see me, fine. You know, but I don't know. They... I mean, they, they had been rubbing me the wrong way, so maybe that maybe that played into it. But I don't know, man. That thing almost hit my head. It almost hit me square in the back of the head. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I was pretty mad. Yeah, I've, I've never been in a situation where a ball has been that close to hitting me. I think usually when I get hit into, I'm pretty lenient, like I did in that situation. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt because I assume that most people are cool on the golf course. So, when I join up with strangers... 95% of the time, it's really great, and I get to meet a lot of different people. So I assume when I'm out there and there's strangers surrounding me that they are also very good people, and they wouldn't intentionally hit into me. So I think people typically do it on accident. Like if someone drives a par 4 or hits a par 5 and 2, if the ball doesn't come close to anybody, I'm more impressed than anything else. If they yell 4 because they accidentally hit one on the screws and it's going better than they thought it was going to, I give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not mad. Now, you know what? In, just in those situations, normally the ball is, like, trickling up to you. Like, if exactly. you hit a, a par five and two, like, it's probably landing 30 yards back and then, like, kicking up a little bit. Like, it's not a, it's not a legitimate threat to anybody. Yeah, there's no danger involved, so that makes it a lot different, I think. Yeah. There, there actually was a time when I was younger, this was probably 15 or 20 years ago, when someone did hit into our group intentionally because we were playing too slow so it's a par five at the course i grew up on shouts to glenn of your golf course there's a par five where you have to wait 
So there's a stretch of holes. There's a long par three, a drivable par four, then a par five. So it really bunches up in this three-hole stretch. Mm-hmm. So we're on the par five, and there's some super bros behind us. They were probably drinking. It was on a weekday, <laughs> very nice summer night, and we're standing waiting, and we're clearly waiting for a group ahead of us, and they hit a tee shot, and it lands at our feet. And I just was floored. There was some shouting back and forth, and that was essentially the end of it. Now, the ball didn't come actually close to hitting any of us, but it carried to us, if that makes sense. So yeah. if we're on a little group, the ball is 10 yards to our right, but it, it, you know, it, it flew. To it was where, group high. It flew group high, yes. And it was <laughs> very, very um, scary and just a weird situation. Yeah, I mean, you kind of feel threatened, like, like somebody's, yeah. like you're kind of under attack. I will Especially say they're doing it on purpose. Yes. And again, I've played golf for over 20 years. That's the only time it's ever happened. So um, that really stinks, though, Nick. On the flip side, how many times have you hit into somebody? Now, not like a different fairway yelling four from the tee box. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's never happened. That's, that's a whole different situation. Like if short par four or a par five, something like that. Have you gotten close to hitting into somebody? Um, I don't remember a specific time, but I know there's been times where I've hit a tee shot and then like somebody walks up from like the behind a tree in the fairway, like they were looking for a ball and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't have hit. I didn't see them, <laughs> but I've never like been like, oh, these guys are, you know, two thirty away. Like I'm just going to give it a whack. You know what I mean? I've never, I've never like intentionally hit when somebody was within, within range, but like, yeah, there's been times where I've hit. And then, like, I didn't see some, like, a group was looking for a ball off to the side or, like, maybe, you know, down a hill or something where I couldn't see them. And then I, after I hit, I was like, oh, you know, I, that was a mistake. But, yeah, no, nothing intentional. I've never had anybody confront me either. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, if, if it's ever happened, it's always like, oh, hey, sorry. And, like, you yeah, know, big deal. So I've done it a couple of times. But it's never been a situation where I was standing on the tee and it was a par four and they were waiting for someone on the green and I hit. The only time it's ever happened when it's been a drivable par four or a par five, and I did it on a short par four. It flew onto the green, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a confrontation because they looked back. They didn't really gesture at me, but everyone in my group was like, oh, Joe, Joe, you shouldn't have done that, Joe. And I was just like, well, I don't really know what to do. I hit a really, really good shot, and so I kind of slink up to the green, and one of the dudes from the other group comes over, and he's like, Hey man, that was an awesome shot. And I was like, oh wow, really? He's like, yeah, that was that was great. Now, did I three putt for par? You bet I did. But <laughs> that's what you deserve. You're that, probably too rattled. You're like, oh man. It, it was because I, I make birdie. I don't deserve birdie. Yeah, it was like 30 feet, 30 feet. I left it about 12 feet short and I gagged that one. I was lucky. I was lucky. I think I like squeezed in a, a, a three-footer for par. Uh, it was, it was, they were very cool. And I guess the point is, I think in most situations in the golf course, people are generally cool more than they're not. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They are cool. Uh, like you said, you, you, when you join up with somebody like 95% of the time, you're like, Oh, that guy, like I could see myself being friends with that. Yeah. Let's be friends (laughs) afterwards, buddy. Um, Yeah. But just to kind of cap off. So, uh, back to that day when I hit this kid's ball out of bounds, that was a bit fun. It was. It actually like <laughs> made a, a terrible round much more enjoyable. Oh, and you were playing <laughs> but, uh, that. Okay. The, okay. Okay. At on the 18th tee, I'm, I'm like, I'm still waiting for this group, and and uh, the old guy, the grandpa, comes up to me. And goes, "Hey, did you pick up a ball?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Nope." You didn't. But, you were telling the truth. 
I did not pick it up. Um, but clearly they were looking like they all stopped well beyond where I was standing. So like they knew at that point they knew like they weren't going to push it, you know, like they, I don't think they wanted a confrontation. They knew like, yeah, we hit into this dude. We're just going to leave it alone. But <laughs> I, uh, I definitely took some enjoyment out of being like, no, I did not pick up your ball. That sounds very satisfying. Well, coming up in just a few, we're going to talk to Zach Kuzahowski, the editor-in-chief of GolfWRX.com, right after this. All right, if you're enjoying At The Turn, please rate us if you're listening on iTunes. Nick tells me that ratings and reviews are very important on iTunes. I don't know why. Nick, is there any sort of explanation? I read somewhere that it helps your, like podcast ranking in the charts like maybe if we get a bunch of good reviews we'll crack the the top 200 for sports and recreation which there's currently like a cleveland browns podcast on there (laughs) and not at the turn which is extremely depressing makes me question a lot of life decisions but maybe if people rate us we'll rank ahead of the cleveland browns podcast on the on the sports and recreation top 200 that's my goal in life right now get the best damn dog pound podcast off the top 200 (laughs) get the at the turn podcast in there and thank you for listening All right, we're going to bring in our guest for today. He is the editor-in-chief of GolfWRX.com. They get 2 million unique visitors and 18 million page views every month, and we are very excited to have Zach Kozahowski. Thanks for having me, guys. So I just wanted to kind of ask you a couple, you know, we want to get your opinion on on the golf equipment market. You know, you're kind of an expert in that that, uh, side of things, and driver technology is one of kind of the big things that that at least – you know, manufacturers are always talking about that they're, you know, they're always marketing a new driver that's that's better than the last one. Um, what's your opinion on on how much of a difference a driver makes, you know, from one year to the next? You know, from one year to the next, uh, we don't see drastic trends on on average in terms of uh, this driver is radically longer or straighter or more forgiving or more aerodynamic. But when you look over the course of a couple years, you know, two, three, four, that's when you start to see the differences stack up. It's it's just so incredibly challenging to make huge breakthroughs, you know, in in a 12-month cycle. For your average golfer, you know, they sort of have to weigh cost or value or just sort of how much they like their old driver. It's really, um, you know, it's on the consumer to get fit and determine what a breakthrough is to them. But I do believe that drivers now, compared to two or three years ago, you will see uh, a measurable and an important performance on a launch monitor most times if you're fit properly. Zach, that yeah. really surprises me because it seems like the technology from, say, 2014, 2015 to today, say you're talking about the top professionals in the world, you know, your Dustin Johnsons, your John Roms, your Rory McElroys. How many more yards are they actually going to see in a club that is fit for them, made for them in 2015 and 2017? Is it going to be like a 15-yard difference? No, we're not talking about 15 yards. I mean, 15 yards just really isn't there anymore. I mean, it would take it would take a radical shift in ball flight and uh, in swing speed or in ball speed, and I just don't know that uh, you're ever going to see a 15-yard gain from a new driver, uh, at least as long as they're made out of titanium and carbon fiber but i mean if you look at some of the distances that the guys on tour are hitting it now dustin johnson's a good example he's hitting it farther than he used to uh, and it's it's hard to really uh, quantify it because course conditions change every year 
uh, week by week. You know, the fairways are firmer, the fairways are softer. Sometimes they're hitting more three woods and, and two irons. But, uh, I mean, these guys are hitting it farther than they ever have. Now, I don't know how many people are like me and fall into this category, but I've always been telling myself probably for the last five years that the next time I buy a golf club or a set of golf clubs or anything like that, I'm going to get fit. The next time I'm going to get fit. I've never been fit for golf clubs in my life. And I've probably bought 10 clubs since I started making myself that promise. But, you know, I always find myself looking into reviews and doing, you know, any every manufacturer does like an online fitting to kind of steer you in the right direction. How much am I losing by, how much am I hurting myself by not actually getting fit, seeing somebody making an appointment um, and getting the set of clubs for me? That's a hard question to answer without, you know, seeing you swing and, and sort of seeing where you're at. <laughs> it's beautiful. This, though. Um, and this is surprising to most people when I tell them this, the better player that you are, you know, if you're a scratch or a five handicap, there's a good chance that you got there because you realized this ball flight with this golf club is functional and this golf uh, ball flight with this golf club is not. So in a lot of cases, your high handicap golfers are saying, Oh, I'm going to wait until I get better to get fit. Uh, and your good players are sort of saying, I need to get fit now. But it actually should be the opposite. I mean, the worse you are at golf generally, uh, the less of an idea you have of what you actually need from a golf club, and the more you can sort of fix your game with the club fit. And the better you are at golf generally, um, the more that you've sort of figured it out on your own. Now, I'm not going to say that fitting isn't important. You know, I remember I played college golf uh, not too long ago, uh, about seven or eight years ago now, and I remember when I graduated and I got into the space and I started to get fit, one of the fitters looked at my ball flight that, you know, was good enough to get me to college golf and just said, that golf ball is spinning way too much. So, you know, that was the way I played. That was the way I always played. But, you know, immediately after I graduated and my competitive days were a little bit behind me, all of a sudden I was able to hit my irons 10 or 12 yards farther. I know Nick wants to ask you about PXG in a second, but before we get to that, Nick, I just have to ask him about golf balls real quick. Am I getting what I pay for? If I pay $40 for a box of balls, am I expecting the performance of a Pro V1, or is that still so much beyond other golf balls? That's a really difficult question to answer. You guys are asking some great questions. Don't <laughs> um, you know, the thing you get when you buy a Titleist is you get a company that the Titleist only makes Titleist golf balls. They make some Pinnacles as well because they own the Pinnacle brand. So they don't outsource their golf balls overseas. Uh, they're not buying you know, pre-made golf balls or buying pre-existing configurations. I mean, it's like Apple. They're doing everything from scratch, right? They're, they're designing uh, the golf ball to be exactly the way they want it to be on their machines, uh, and they have really, really tight controls. I've been in the factory a few times. I mean, it's, it's incredibly impressive to walk through Titleist ball plant, and you see that the majority of PGA Tour players are using Titleist golf balls. And the scary thing about Titleist is when you get into the amateur ranks, uh, they're even more dominant. And I, I don't know if that's pyramid of influence or that's just, uh, you know, juniors and amateur golfers making preferences. But, I mean, there's no question that the competition of Titleist uh, is tighter than it's ever been. TaylorMade makes good golf balls. Strixon makes good golf balls. Callaway, Bridgestone. You know, all these companies have the best players in the world playing their balls. But, um, you know, at, at that price point, at the $40 plus price point range, I mean, they're all very, very good. The question is, which one is good for you? I am going to shift over to PXG because um, it's, it's been really interesting um, how much of a market share they've taken in such a short amount of time. The story behind PXG, as far as I know, is, is Bob Parsons just basically spared no expense 
to to create the the best golf clubs in the world. And I actually saw a, a PXG rep on a range one time, and there was a college tournament happening at this course. And he said, I won't let any college players hit our clubs before a tournament because they'll just be so mad that they're not playing them. It'll get in their head, whatever. And he said, all of our clubs are longer. They fly higher. They land softer and all this stuff. Is that true? I mean, are these PXG clubs that Bob Parsons set out to make the best clubs, are they the best clubs in the world right now? To some people, they are. And, and to some people, they're not. I mean, it's you've sort of asked the question, What's your favorite car? What's your favorite watch? A lot of people are going to name Ferrari and Lamborghini and Rolex and, uh, you know, these really premium brands. But, you know, are you paying for the name? Are you paying for performance? What exactly are you paying for? In PXG's case, uh, I I do have experience with their clubs and uh, I love their new line of metalwoods. I mean, I think they're, they're as good, if not better, than what's out there on the market. They're also almost twice as twice as costly, right? So I think the joke, I mean, the joke about PXG and, and why their clubs are so good is, you know, why did Bob spend so much money to, to make this golf company? Well, he needs the write-offs, right? Billionaire. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, ta- they're taking it seriously. Uh, they're, they're taking chances. They're not letting costs get in the way. And, you know, a lot of custom fitters, the, the top fitters that we speak to on a regular basis for, uh, for Intel are saying, yeah, these PXG irons are, are exceptional. They're as good as anything else out there. They might be better than anything else out there. Do they perform three times as well? Um, it, depends, it depends what that means to you. It's a status symbol. It's, it's something special. It's something unique that this industry hasn't had for a long time. Um, but obviously, we're talking about a very small percentage of people who are going to be willing to drop you know, $5,000 on a set of clubs. Zach, before we let you go, I uh, want to do a quick rapid fire with you here. We're going to give you a innovation in the game, or at least it's being marketed that way, and you're going to tell us if it's a gimmick or a game changer and tell us why in a sentence or two, okay? <laughs> okay. I've ne- you know, I've never actually had anyone do this kind of interview with me, so this will be interesting. You're handling it great. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. First one, Bryson DeChambeau and his one-length irons. Is it a gimmick or a game changer? Oh, words out. I would say, if, if I had to pick one, I would say it's a game changer. I mean, we're talking about uh, golfers who might not be introduced to the game or might be just learning, uh, being able to play clubs that are almost exactly the same except for the loft. So uh, I think it's a good innovation. I think it's a game changer. We're going to go with John Daly, the vertical grooves driver, gimmick or game changer. You know, the driver is good, but I don't think it's because it's a groove. So I'm going to go with gimmick. I looked at getting a new putter recently, and every single new putter had a fat putting grip on it. These oversized putting grips, gimmick or game changer? Oh, game changer. Do you know how many super stroke grips have been sold since, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013? The company is actually based here in, in Detroit where Golf WRX is based. And um, the owners are very happy. I'll say that much. And, and golfers are happy too. I mean, just look, wow. just look up and down the ranges. It's crazy how many PGA Tour players have these big grips. And, uh, you know, the percentage of putts made just keep going up and up and up. I think, I think it's real. Wow. We, we wouldn't be doing our job if we had you on, on our podcast and didn't ask you about the Kirkland Signature Golf Ball. They can't stay on shelves. Yes. Everybody wants them. Gimmick or game changer? It's a game changer. It's got to be. I mean, 
I don't know if all the hype is true that they're better than anything else is out there, but you don't get this kind of response out of a bad product. And, and look at the price. I mean, my personal take on a golf ball like this is, you know, if you can't get it, it's not a good golf ball because you need to be able to play the same golf ball every round because there's a consistency that's built up. So it's sort of gimmicky now because no good golfer could ever load up on enough of these to play a full competitive season. But I mean, a $15 a dozen tour ball, are you kidding me? That's a game changer. At least it could be. All right, Zach, last one. The jailbreak technology. Now, is this the one that's in, like, the epic driver? Yes. Is that a gimmick or a game changer? Drivers. I, I wouldn't call it a gimmick. I mean, I guess if, if I got to pick one, i call it a game changer. But, uh, I mean, this is – Callaway's marketing team has been very smart about this, and they've, they've really taken a hold of this technology that they can talk about and uh, market it effectively. But, I mean, it's really more about the whole structure of the whole head and how good the ball speeds of Callaway Driver have consistently been getting the last few years. But i gotta got to tip my hat to Callaway. They've done a great job with it, and uh, people love it. It's the most talked about driver of the year by far. Editor-in-chief of Golf WRX at GolfWRX.com. Zach, thank you so much for your insight and your time today. Thanks for having me. We want to talk the best in the world. Number one golfers in the world. Um, we're going to talk about not all 20 of them because we don't care about some of them. I think Ian Woosnam was one. And sorry, Ian, no one cares. Right now, the number one golfer in the world is Dustin Johnson. Nick, number one in the world trivia real quick. Who was the first number one ranked player in the world in 1986 when this started? Oh, you're going back to when I was a baby. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess Bernhard Langer. <laughs> you're so looking at that. There's no way you guessed that. <laughs> yeah, I tried to sell it like it wasn't, but yeah, it's, it's on my screen right now. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, we're going to talk about whether a dominant number one player in the world, someone who's been number one for a long time, or a revolving door of number ones is better for the game. But, Nick, before we dive into that, I have a few facts and figures. The top five... Number one golfers in the world, by length of time, they were the number one golfer in the world. Number five is Seve Ballesteros. He was number one for 61 weeks. Rory McIlroy is actually fourth with 95 weeks at number one in the world. Nick Faldo, Sir Nick Faldo, uh, is third at 97 weeks. And then you have a big jump up to number two. Greg Norman was ranked number one in the world for 331 weeks. That really surprised me to see he was number one for that long. And then, of course, number one in that statistic, Phil Mickelson. No, Tiger Woods. <laughs> Tiger, Tiger Woods, 683 weeks at number one. Tiger had two five-year stints, so two stretches over five years at number one. From 1999 to 2004 to 2005 to 2010, he was the number one player in the world. Only one player was number one in the world besides Tiger. In the 2000s. Do you know who it is? I do. Nope. One of your favorite golfers of all time. Ah! VJ Singh, the pride of Fiji. <laughs> VJ Singh, yes. He battled Tiger in that uh, 04-05 stretch. And if I'm not mistaken, I think VJ had to win about nine tournaments to become number one. That's how much of a lead Tiger had on everybody else. Um, but, yeah. What do you have on this, Nick? Um, just one more thing about Tiger. His, if you combine all of his... Uh, Weeks at number one, it's over 13 years. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> Which is a long time. Um, you know, I was just, I, I just, I feel like the last three or four years, it's always been, 
you know, right now it's Dustin Johnson. It's like, oh, he can't be stopped. He's world number one. He's so great. He's the, you know, the guy we're going to anoint as the king of golf right now. But last year it was Jason Day. Before that it was Jordan Spieth. Before that it was Roy McIlroy. Before that it was Adam Scott. You know, so, so basically since Tiger his, his, you know, been in his twilight, I guess would be a nice way of putting it. Um, nobody's really dominated the game. And I understand the argument is, you know, there's, there's more dominant players, so there's not room for one person to really just take it and run with it. But it just seems like there's been so many different guys who they said, oh, like Jordan Spieth is going to dominate the game for 10 years, or Roy McIlroy, same thing, you know. But we haven't seen that, and I'm just wondering if it if it's going to happen. You know, maybe Dustin Johnson will do it, or maybe Roy or Jordan will, will regain that and be number one for three years at a time, or if we're just going to keep having a revolving door, you know, and, and What's more interesting to watch as a fan anyways? Is it more fun when you have a tiger dominating or is it or is it interesting to see different guys kind of fighting for that spot? What do you think? I think especially in an individual sport like golf or tennis, a dominant figure is really important for the popularity of that sport. Tennis, when Federer and Nadal were at their peak probably like six, seven years ago, tennis was great. I mean, I don't care about tennis that much, but it's great to see a dominant player. I really enjoy seeing Serena Williams dominate. I watch ladies tennis to watch Serena to see if she wins more grand slams. And casual fans of golf did the same thing during Tiger's heyday. If Tiger's in contention at the Masters, those ratings are going to be a lot higher. If you take that back 20, 30 years, when Nicholas was at his best, that was good for golf. When you have these stretches where golf is looking for the next person, and I think marketing Television ratings, those sorts of things, have a big role to play in who's going to be the next big guy. There'd be nothing better for the PGA Tour than if Dustin Johnson wins the U.S. Open, wins the PGA. If he rattles off a bunch of majors, that is excellent for golf, especially because, you know, he has a famous wife, a famous family, all of his... (laughs) A famous drug addiction. (laughs) Yeah, a famous drug addiction. Seriously, the rise and fall of sports figures, both ends of it, are good for ratings, for interest, for popularity. When Dustin Johnson came back from his suspension, there was a lot of interest in how he would play. Um, And I just think you don't have that when you have the revolving door of Lee Westwood, Martin Keimer, Luke Donald, Roy McIlroy, Adam Scott, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, Dustin Johnson. Eight different number ones this decade. And I have to imagine that most casual sports fans know maybe Roy McIlroy, Maybe Dustin Johnson because of who he's married to. And those are long shots that casual sports fans know those guys. I just can't really see the argument for the revolving door of number one. Right. I agree. And uh, I, I disagree a little bit with what you said. There would be nothing better for a golf if if Dustin Johnson were that guy. I think I think Jordan Spieth is, is the person who the you know would be best for golf to be that guy just because – of his image. <laughs> he's more of a clean guy. He's more of a marketable guy from like a PGA tour standpoint. Um, Ricky Fowler, if he could ever, I mean, he hasn't That's been in this guy. conversation yet, but if they could pick somebody who's, you know, on the cusp, it would be Ricky. I mean, he's gotta be people just love Ricky. He's so charismatic. Um, he's not quite in that tier yet. You know, he's kind of in that, you know, lingering fringe group as opposed to being, uh, you know, in this, group who's been number one but yeah if they could handpick somebody I don't think it would be Dustin Johnson well I guess the argument in favor of the revolving door is that it spotlights more people 
and you get to see a wider range of folks being number one. But I think what has also hurt the popularity of golf, at least in the United States, is that only two of those golfers that we rattled off, eight in the past seven years, are American. Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson, the rest, Mm -hmm. are from around the world. And say what you want, Americans love when Americans do well. They, They just do. While everyone was excited to see Sergio win the Masters, uh, if Ricky Fowler would have won the Masters, that would have been a more popular win for the United States. Yeah, there's no question. Um, And the thing that's cool about golf as compared to other sports, I mean, like rooting for the Patriots is like is really no fun because, you know, they're playing the Bills, they're going to win, whatever. But in golf, it's like Tiger versus the field, like. Even though yeah. he's the most dominant player, he's still got to beat 143 other guys every week. So, like, just that element makes it that much more exciting. And I think I think Tiger's winning percentage, like, in the 2000s was, was better than a lot of, like, sports teams who are going up against one. You know what I mean? Like, they're playing one team. And Tiger, I think, won a greater percentage of his tournaments than, like, I don't know, the, the Cleveland Browns, since we're picking on them today. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most fun I ever had watching Tiger play golf is when he was beating up everybody really badly. He won the 2000 U.S. Open, which had to be his peak, by 15 shots. That was so much fun to see Tiger play. That like The field was secondary at that point. By the time it got to the middle of Saturday, he opened up something like a six or seven shot lead, and it was clear he was going to win. And then it was just Tiger versus history. That's incredible yeah. that everyone is struggling to break par at Pebble Beach and Tiger is trying to beat 100-year-old records and not worried <laughs> about the field at that point. That is much more interesting than guys not playing well down the stretch and majors being won from who makes the least amount of mistakes as opposed to who's actually being aggressive and playing really good golf, which, again, go back to the Masters, that's what made it such a fun victory, was that they were playing so well down the stretch. That's what people want to see, great golf. Yeah. So do you think it's going to happen? Do you see Dustin? And I don't know. I don't really know the formula for, for the world golf rankings. So It's dumb and super complicated. Yeah, like, like, does he have a big enough lead? Is he? Do you see him being this guy? Like, if I had to say over under, you know, 100 weeks, do you think he'll he'll – Make it 100 weeks, basically two years at world number one, or are we going to see this, you know, hand it off to somebody else again? In his career or consecutively? Just right now. Like, he's on week 12 or 13. So, like, is he going to get to 100 right now? Well, he's such a wild card because you thought that he had his life under control, and then he rattles off three tournaments in a row right before the Masters, and you think, oh, Dustin Johnson, here we go, baby, let's do this. And he allegedly falls down some stairs and can't play because he tweaks his back. And it's like, bro, what are you doing? Just relax. (laughs) Put yourself in a straitjacket. Go out, win the Masters by four strokes, and then fall down as many stairs as you want. I I just think he's too much of a wild I just think he's way too much of a wild card to count on. He he doesn't have, like, the um, militaristic mindset of Tiger, who every waking moment is to be better at golf. I just don't think Dustin Johnson has that mentality. I think he has a lot of natural talent. I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. I'm just saying that Dustin Johnson doesn't need to work as hard. Right. Um, okay, so you brought something up that we, we hadn't discussed, but I've kind of been wondering, so oh, I'm no. just going to say it. Are you, are you questioning his the legitimacy of his accident? <laughs> like, are you saying he probably didn't fall down the stairs at the Masters? I'm saying he probably fell down the stairs, but I'm not saying how he fell down those stairs. Who knew what was happening? <laughs> Look, 
I'm not. I'm not. Maybe he was pushed. (laughs) I'm not trying to make fun of an addiction or anything like that. And, you know, who knows if the guy actually has an addiction? Uh, I actually read a recent uh, New York Times article about this specific thing that was quite interesting, where they talk about the secrecy of the PGA Tour. And when players get suspended or take a leave of absence, and there's a lot of mystery around it because golf has a certain image they want to portray. And if you were to come out and say, well, Dustin Johnson failed to test for Coke for the third time and he's got to be suspended six months, that sounds pretty bad. But the argument that was being made by the person who wrote the article, and I can't remember the name, but it's very well written, the argument they were making was that when you have this cloud of secrecy surrounding somebody, there's more room to interpret, and you can actually think of worse things that are possibly happening than the truth in itself. So their argument is, just tell us that Dustin Johnson has been having too much fun partying, he's got to take a six-month suspension, and then he comes back. It's not as though people don't think of you know someone like a John Daly, who's had a lot of mistakes, and he's the most popular golfer out there. It's kind of an old mentality, and it'll be interesting to see if they change that going forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to change it, but I, I definitely agree because now just like the speculation is wild, like he falls down the stairs. Oh, is he really suspended or is, is this just a cover up or something else? Or any anytime a guy misses a tournament, I'm always like, hmm, you know, like that's weird. Yeah. Why is he really not playing in this? Like, did Roy McElroy really get married or was he, <laughs> you know, like now you're questioning everything. So, no, I definitely agree. And I think I think people said the same thing about Michael Jordan, like why he left the NBA. Like there's this conspiracy theory that that he was gambling on the NBA. Oh, and I so they that. like gave him a two year suspension. and He went to play minor league baseball. You, you heard that? <laughs> I, I believe in that one wholeheartedly. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I buy into that conspiracy theory. See, and it's because golf has made you this way. Golf, the PGA has made you skeptical. You can't believe anything. <laughs> Nick, um, it sounds like you may need a refill of iced coffee. So should we uh, should we cut people loose here? I think that's uh, a wrap on episode three. Oh, that was quick. That was fun. Thanks to Zach Kuzahowski from Golf WRX. He's the editor-in-chief. We'll post all kinds of links so you can find his good work. Nick writes some articles for them, too. You can list, you can uh, read, rather, Nick's good work there. And um, we'll talk pretty soon. Uh, U.S. Open's coming up soon, so we'll be talking about that in upcoming episodes of At The Turn. Thanks, Nick. Joe, I, I got I to gotta say one thing before Please. you let me go. Please. And uh, I talked to my mom earlier today, and I just got to throw her under the bus a little bit. She <laughs> told me, she said, oh, will you tell me the name of your podcast again? Oh, no! (laughs) What, are you telling me you haven't been listening? (laughs) My mom has not listened to our podcast. Can you... Can you please get your mom to listen to our podcast? I'm trying. And rate and review us, for goodness sakes. I know, I said, I told I said, you need to listen and review. She goes, ah, I have to review you? (laughs) too many things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for... We gotta get the moms to listen. <laughs> yes, you listen and then tell your mom about it. Tell your mom to listen. We're we're very big with moms in the Portland, Oregon area. Um, so wherever you're listening, please listen, rate, review, and then have your mom do the same thing. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at the turn.